You're listening to Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. Let me hit the Wayback Machine and travel back to the 13th, 13th century. We see the Mediterranean as a hub of international commerce. Merchants trading colorful dyes and spices from the Far East, goats from North Africa, barrels of Tuscan wine. Commerce is everywhere. But imagine today doing all that trading without modern arithmetic. How are merchants calculating their bills, tracking their inventory with just simple additions and subtractions? Not to mention the exchange rates, the interest rates. Most business businessmen recorded figures using an abacus, their fingers, or Roman numerals. As you know, these are all very inefficient systems. Try running your business with this way today. Well, then a young man from Pisa appears on the scene and changes arithmetic forever. His name? Leonardo. He publishes a book that introduces a simple way to do arithmetic using just ten numbers. Hey, zero through nine, and something to write with. We know him today as Fibonacci, and the story of this mathematical revolution is told in my next guest's new book, The Man of Numbers, Fibonacci's Arithmetic Revolution. Joining me now is Keith Devlin. He's a mathematician at Stanford University. You also know him as NPR's Weekend Edition's Math Guy. Welcome back to Science Friday, Keith. Hi, Owen. Nice to be back on the show again. Nice to have you. Uh, This is not a Leonardo to be convinced with da Vinci, right? No, although their paths, or at least their, their heritages, do intertwine a couple of hundred years later. <laughs> I'll bet. Tell us what it was like. Was it really that crude math back then? Or no, there was no math. It was just a little basic arithmetic. It really was. In fact, you know, you were talking about international trade. It's true it was international, but trade really was two guys with goods on a camel because it was impossible to run a commercial empire, as the Italians were desperate to do at the beginning of the 13th century, without arithmetic. And so they did indeed use finger counting, finger calculation. They used an abacus board, the the abacus with with beads on a wire. That's a Chinese invention that came into Europe much later. But it was mechanical calculations. You store the results in Roman numerals. Yeah, it, it was doable. But first of all, most people couldn't use the abacus board or the finger counting very well themselves. They had to pay somebody else to do it for them. And then the results were recorded in Roman numerals. So if if two people disputed the calculation, there was no audit trail like there is when we do arithmetic today. You couldn't check the work in. You had to go right back to the beginning and do the whole calculation again. So it was incredibly inefficient, and it kept commerce from really developing, and it just restricted it to basically two guys with goods on a camel. Traveling around, <laughs> I guess two camels. <laughs> I guess so. What what did Leonardo write in his book about arithmetic? Uh, so the kind of what we now take for granted, and the fact that we take it for so much for granted, shows how pervasive was the revolution he started in the 13th century. That method of doing arithmetic was developed in India in the first six or seven centuries of the current era, and then, then the the traders in the Arabic speaking world that were plying their goods between uh, Europe and North Africa down to the Orient on the on the silk route uh, they picked up this method from the indians they started to use it in their trade and commerce some of the arabic speaking scholars developed it uh, algebra grew out of their interest in this the the, the arabic mathematicians developed uh, modern algebra or the beginnings of modern algebra so by the end of the 12th century this new method of doing arithmetic had found its way to the shores of north africa uh, and it was it was heavily used by the traders in, in, in the Arabic-speaking world. But then Leonardo, as a teenager, 
goes over from Pisa, where he's been brought up, lands in Bougia in North Africa to join his father, who's a successful international businessman who's gone out to Pisa, from Pisa to Bougia to represent Italian traders. Leonardo, who's got, who's got a good, he's got a good head for figures. He was sort of mathematically gifted. It was he would turn out to be extremely gifted. He sees this method being used since he's grown up in the hub of commerce, namely Pisa. When he looks at this method, he sees something that nobody else, including his father, had seen. The enormous potential this has to change commerce for everybody. Because he says, and this is where he begins to sound like Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, he says, if I package this and present it so that ordinary people, ordinary business people, can understand it, everyone can do their own arithmetic, everyone has the potential to become an international trader. It was a personal computing revolution that was about to happen, and Leonardo was about to launch it. 1-800-989-8255 is our number, if you want to talk about uh, Leonardo. Uh, when, when did he become known as, you know, uh, Fibonacci? Oh, that was in the 19th century. A, a historian uh, just gave him that name. In, in Leonardo's day, they didn't really have surnames, so I guess that it was uh, when this historian was... Uh, was writing about him. His name was Guillaume Libri uh, early in the 19th century. He, he made up a surname. In fact, when, when Leonardo writes his book Libra Bonacci, at the beginning of the book, and it's in Latin, he calls himself Filius Bonacci, the son of Bonacci, which really he meant that the, fam the family of Bonacci. Um, and so this guy, Libri, this historian in the early 19th century, takes that phrase, Filius Bonacci, shortens it to Fibonacci, and generates a nice modern-sounding, Italian-sounding surname for Leonardo. And that stuck with him forever. It stuck with him forever. That name and the, and the Fibonacci sequence has, yeah. has been associated with him forever. But Leonardo really had nothing to do with the Fibonacci he sequence. Did. It, it, it's it, named it was, after him and he had nothing to do with it. It had been around for hundreds of years. In his book, Libra Bacci, <laughs> Because he's trying to teach this method to everybody, he fills it with hundreds and hundreds of examples. Most of them are examples about trade and commerce and exchanging goods and uh, divvying out the profits from a trade, uh, currency conversions, hundreds and hundreds of examples like that, which he must have realised would tend to get a bit tedious after a while. So every now and then he throws in a little cute problem that you can think about in the bathtub. And one of them was about <laughs> a fictitious rabbit's population. Uh, and he throws this as a throwaway problem. Uh, that's the problem that gives you the Fibonacci sequence. It, you know, he didn't invent it. He didn't solve it himself. He just took it. He'd been around for hundreds of years. And then he goes along his way. I, I guarantee if, if, if Leonardo came onto the scene today and you said, I really like your Fibonacci sequence, he would look at you and say, what on earth are you talking about? You know, wow. He was trying to change the world. He really wasn't interested in populations of rabbits. But, it, you know, history runs in strange ways, and we now associate that sequence with his name. And how, it is a cool sequence. Yeah. Well, so how fast, <laughs> how quickly did his new arithmetic catch on? Um, well, remember, we're pre-Twitter, we're pre-Facebook, right. <laughs> we're pre-everything, pre pre really. Um, Manuscripts were copied by hand, and it could take a, a year or more to copy a manuscript. And Libra Bacci was hundreds and hundreds of pages long. So uh, we have to measure everything in terms of decades. If you measure it in terms of decades, it was a, a rapid-fire revolution. Uh, within a century, well, certainly within his own lifetime, he became famous, totally famous. The emperor invited him to his court in an early version of Jeopardy, where Leonardo had to answer on the spot mathematical problems thrown at him by some of the best mathematicians in, 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 in Emperor Frederick's court. So he was a celebrity in his time. He wrote several other books, uh, deep mathematics books, very famous. 
within a few years of him producing Libra Barchi, there began to appear what eventually were hundreds and mm. maybe even thousands of books written in, in vernacular Italian explaining commercial arithmetic to everybody. It was a huge bestseller if you could write a book yeah. on, uh, on arithmetic. And these were written in their hundreds uh, and they circulated initially throughout Italy and then eventually throughout, West, throughout Western and Northern Europe. Well, what was it? Did he have, a, did he have an, a, you know, an aha moment? About. Well, his aha moment was, was very much when he saw this, uh, this method being used and he realised just how efficient it was. And, and it, 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 the reason people don't like it today is because it's dull and mechanical. Right. And we don't need to do that because we have machines that do that dull and right. mechanical thing. I mean, everyone's, my iPhone does the calculations for me these days. But in those days, this was huge because this turned something that was impossible and required fingers and all sorts of time and Roman numerals and turned it into something which, yes, was dull and mechanical, but you could do it for yourself. It was so valuable to, to, to the Italians, especially the trades and the business people, that they flocked. They tried to get hold of copies of these books that were being produced. Schools were being set up all over Italy where you could go, either as a child or as an adult, and learn the arithmetic that you would need to set up in business for yourself and to become a trader. It was huge, and within 200 years, it was spreading throughout all of Europe, and, and life changed forever. I mean, modern... You look back to the origins of accounting, banking, uh, international trade and commerce, uh, insurance. It all came out of Italy in the 13th century. And one of the key ingredients for that to happen was that the ordinary person could do arithmetic quickly and efficiently and accurately and in the process leave an audit trail. That was the key to Italy becoming the dominant uh, world trade group, mm -hmm. uh, the world trade company uh, country uh, in, the, in, in the 13th century. Mm -hmm. And as a mathematician, what what caught your interest in this story? Oh, I saw Kindred. I'm a mathematician. I've spent my life doing mathematics, but I've also devoted a lot of time trying to explain mathematics to the general public and trying to find ways to make it accessible, to package it, if you like, and market it in a way that different kinds of ordinary people can understand. Math Leonardo did the same. He was a great mathematician, much better mathematician than me if we factor in 800 years of history. Great mathematician. But he spends a lot of effort, puts in a lot of effort, to making that, uh, that, that difficult mathematics understandable to the general population. So I saw in him a kindred spirit 800 years earlier and I decided, this, this, this book, by the way, took me the longest of any book to write. It took me over 10 years. Really? Uh, over 10 years ago, I started. Well, it was hard to find the information about the guy. I had to keep going to Italy. Um, that's my story. I also like Tuscan food. But I, <laughs> I kept going to Italy. There were worse places to go to do your research. Absolutely. And um, so I, I, I was going and doing this. It turned out that just when I was starting the research in about 2000, 2001, a historian of mathematics, Raffaella Franchi at the University of Siena, made the most amazing discovery in the archives in Florence. She found the copy of a long-lost book of Leonardo that was the key to understanding how Libra Barchi came to start this revolution. And that had puzzled historians for 200 years. And, and as I'm starting my project, this discovery is made. I'd already met this person, Raffaella Franchi. She gives me the results of her research, and suddenly... I have the basis for writing the, the Man of Numbers. It took me a bit longer to put it together, but I was lucky in that I was at the right place at the right time to write this story. And, and he was also, because his, his father was, uh, was involved in, in trade himself, right? As sort of a, uh, a, a, an impetus for him to get involved in thinking about this. 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. He, it, it was it was very much a matter of of growing up in the right in, in environment. Yeah. In fact, one the, the curious thing to me is, as I was doing this research over ten years, coming from Stanford in the middle of Silicon Valley, everything I discovered said, "Boy, this is exactly what happened in the nineteen eighties with the personal computer revolution." Uh, everything right down to the detail. In fact, I was so struck by the parallels that, that, that I, I went to the publisher with the Man of Numbers and said, look, there's a great little subsidiary story comparing Leonardo with Steve Jobs. So with the publisher's agreement, we actually brought out a companion ebook called Leonardo and Steve, which tells the parallels, and there are amazing parallels, between what Leonardo of Pisa did in the 13th century and what Steve Jobs and later Bill Gates did in the in the 1980s in California. The parallels are absolutely uncanny, and we decided it would be kind of cute to bring mm. that out as an e-book, which we just did. one <laughs> Interesting. But, but uh, you know, Steve Jobs may not like to be forgotten for centuries like Fibonacci was, right? That's right. And, I don't, and the trouble with Fibonacci was the printing press came along 200 years later. Uh-huh. A- a- among the first books that were printed were some of these uh, arithmetic books for, for, I was almost called them arithmetic for dummies, but they were actually arithmetic for someone who wanted to make a lot of money as, as a business person. These books were coming out, so when the printing press comes along, Printers immediately rush to start bringing out copies of these books, but they look for the ones that have been more recently written. They're not going to go back to something 200 years old that was big and written in Latin. So the moment these come out, everybody forgets the old handwritten manuscripts, and Leonardo's manuscript just starts gathering dust in the monasteries and the archives, and nobody looks at it again, until, in fact, uh, the the late 18th century when a historian comes across a reference in a, in a paper, um, actually a book by Luca Pacioli, who was a contemporary of, of Leonardo da Vinci, he finds this this reference to Leonardo of Pisa, starts to dig out the old manuscripts and discovers the role Leonardo had played. So for many hundreds of years, Leonardo's role had been forgotten. Mm. Um, then beginning in the late 18th century and onwards, historians began to uncover the story um, and as I as I mentioned a moment ago, it wasn't until 2003 when I, when Raffaella mm-hmm. Franchi put in the last piece of the story that showed us what great things happened as a result of mm. Leonardo's work. Talking uh, with uh, Keith Devlin, the author of The Man of Numbers, Fibonacci's Arithmetic Revolution on Science Friday from NPR. Uh, let me see if I can get a quick call in here before we go. Let's go to Jay in Sacramento. Hi, Jay. Well, hi. hi First there. of all, thanks very much for making me aware of a book I'm going to have to pick up. But um, I'm curious about something. There must be something I'm misunderstanding about, misunderstanding about Fibonacci's advancement. The Egyptians, much earlier, were doing amazing uh, architectural and engineering work, building all that stuff, and it must have required advanced ciphering abilities that I would think predate what we're talking about here. What, what am I not understanding there about Fibonacci's uh, contribution? Oh, yeah, yeah, not just the, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Chinese. There were lots of societies who did, did, did amazing work using, using arithmetic and numbers. And the ancient Greeks before had done great things. What was significant? About, but in those times, you had to be an expert. You had to devote your life to being a mathematician in order to do that. You had to get to that person. What Leonardo did, and this is why it's like the personal computing revolution, he produced a, a method whereby everybody could teach themselves or help to, be, to learn how to do it themselves. He took something that had been developed by others and, and was useful but required experts and made it accessible so anybody could do it for themselves. He basically gave it to the world. 
That was the huge difference, and that's why it made possible international trade and commerce, the, the growth of international trading empires and large conglomerates, because they depend upon the fact that every employee does, does arithmetic on the fly. Um, remember, these there were no computers back then, so it was making it accessible mm. that was the key thing. Could, it could wasn't he, the new origin. Could he have patented yeah. it? And, you know... <laughs> Today, um, I'm thinking t- like the Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Oh, you, believe me, the lawyers would have been swarming all around him if he was doing this today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he's sort of like left it like open source for anybody to use it. it, it right? It was it was open source except you had to get hold of a handwritten copy and it would take a long you know a year a year or more to make the handwritten the, the copies are beautiful in my book I have some images of some of the 13th century manuscript copies of Leonardo's book not the original we don't have mm-hmm. one of the in his hand they are truly beautiful I've looked at some of the originals in Siena in Florence uh, and, and uh, they're absolutely staggeringly beautiful manuscripts lovingly written by hand in multicolored inks delight to look at yeah. but. Did you come yeah, across was, Galileo's finger yeah. while you were there? Uh, no, but I, 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 I think I saw it in one of the museums I was looking at. Uh, yeah, I, I was more obsessed with Leonardo by that stage. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I kind of like the guy. He's been, you know, you compare him when, with, with, with Galileo and Copernicus. Right. He's one of those guys. And, right. and one of the main reasons I wrote this book was I wanted to put, put Leonardo on the pedestal he deserves to be as one of the greatest people in, in, in the history of the modern world, along with Copernicus and Galileo, neither of whom could have done what they did without simple elementary arithmetic at their disposal. It's an excellent book. It's called The Man of Numbers, Fibonacci's Arithmetic Revolution. It's Weekend Edition's math guy, Keith Devlin. Good luck with the book. It's a great read. Thank you very much, Aaron. I'd like to hear it. You've done a lot for advancing his reputation. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. We'll talk about creating sounds on the computer. <laughs> 